0: Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our eighth episode, our guest is Melanie Samay. Melanie studied literature at Fordham University in the Bronx and received her Master's in English Literature from San Francisco State University. Her thesis was on The Ground Beneath Her Feet by Salman Rushdie and how he creates a literary version of the history of rock and roll by writing his own version of the Orpheus myth. Other favorite authors are Irvine Welsh, Vladimir Nabokov, Anne Rice, Brett Easton-Ellis, Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Arturo Perez-Riverte, J.K. Rowling, Charles Bukowski, Zadie Smith, and Chuck Palahniuk. She sometimes spends too much time reading, other times too little. Sameh owns too many books but can't stop acquiring them. She's forever pro-physical books and anti-e-readers. She has a shy, skinny, black boy cat named Hermione. She is a staunch defender of the serial comma. Currently, she works in marketing for the Contemporary Jewish Museum. When she's not reading, she's walking around the city, sitting in parks with friends, and hanging around dark spaces at night listening to loud music. Read more on her blog about books and book nerddom at soifollowjulian.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Once you're signed into iTunes, hit subscribe. Click the tab on the iTunes page near the top that says Ratings and Reviews. From there, please leave a star rating, hopefully five stars. And click write a review to leave a review. Thanks again for the support. You can now also find The Rob Burgess Show on Stitcher at www.stitcher.com forward slash podcast forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Google Play Music at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show Google Play. Tune in at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show Tune In, YouTube at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show YouTube. You can now also subscribe directly to the RSS feed at tinyurl.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show RSS. If you're an Android user and you're still not sure how to listen, you can also visit the website. Subscribe on android.com forward slash tinyurl.com forward slash RSS And if you have a one-click supported app on your Android device, the app will load automatically. You can find more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. The official website for The Rob Burgess Show is www.therobburgessshow.com. Follow on Twitter at Rob Burgess Show. Like the page on Facebook at The Rob Burgess Show. Follow on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. The email for the show is The Rob Burgess Show at gmail.com. And now, on to the show.
1: This
0: is Melanie. Hey, this is Rob.
1: Hi, Rob. How are you?
0: Good, good. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good, thanks.
0: Cool, cool. I'm glad we finally uh, got to do this. This is great.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Excited. Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure. Um, I'm a little bit intimidated um, because I know that you're a very smart person and that you read a lot. And I like to fancy myself a smart person that reads a lot, but I think you you really are a smart person that reads a lot. So <laughs> I'm always uh, intimidated in, in people like you's presence, you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: So <laughs> Uh,
1: no need to be. I read so much that I forget almost all of it.
0: Okay. Well, cool, cool. Um, well, I guess before we go any further, uh, just tell people about yourself and whatever you want people to know.
1: Um, let's see. I live in San Francisco. I read a lot. I have a master's in literature from SF State, and I did my undergraduate at Fordham University in the Bronx, and studied English as my major and philosophy as my minor. So, you know, I had a really, I was really thinking about the future when I, you know,
0: Studied those courses. <laughs> well, definitely. Um, we uh, we know each other because we have a mutual friend in Sean. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't. Did you get a chance to listen to his episode of the podcast?
1: Yeah, I did. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was so glad that he was my first uh, guest. Uh, he just was such a, a great person to talk to. As I'm sure you know. Um, and uh, it was so cool that he mentioned you because. Uh, you know, I just brought up the fact that I was trying to read a Salman Rushdie book, and, uh, he brought up the fact that, you know, you have such a close connection with him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you want to get right into that, but. Um what is your yeah. like what was the, I guess when was the first time you encountered Salman Rushdie?
1: Um just at a book signing and I think that he kind of misinterpreted my relationship with him because I've just seen him at book signings. So I don't have any personal connection to him except for the fact that he's probably like, "Oh, there's that goth girl again." <laughs> <You>
2: know,
1: because <laughs> there's only one goth girl in San Francisco that goes to all of the author signings.
0: You you did your, uh, I'm sorry, thesis, is that right? Uh-huh. Uh, on yeah. Salman, one of Salman Rushdie's books. Um, how did you come to decide that would what the subject of your work would be?
1: Well, let's see. I wanted to write about something that was... That I thought was really important to literature. So, of course, I was thinking about Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer, but then I thought, well, I don't really know what to say about that that hasn't already been said. And then I thought, well, I really like Ulysses by James Joyce. I clearly cannot come up with anything that hasn't already been said. So then I started reading Salman Rushdie. And I really, really loved him, but I thought, well, everyone's written already about the satanic verses. And my uh, my teacher, Professor Avery at SF State, he had suggested, well, you really like music. You should try reading The Ground Beneath Her Feet, because we'd talk about music and stuff. So I picked it up, and all of a sudden, like, the very first page I was drawn in, and I thought, this is the book. Like, I just knew, and I read it, I think, six or seven times, you know, to write the the thesis, so I wanted to be... Totally
0: sure of it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and we should say that for anyone who has never read Salman Rushdie, he's an incredibly dense writer, and he like really packs a lot into every sentence and every word. I mean, he even combines certain words. Could, I'm sure you can attest to this uh, that that aren't usually said as one word. He will cannot he will combine them together, um, and I really feel like he had, he does his whole style is very musical. You know what I mean? Like he has a very lyrical. Um, way that he expresses himself.
1: Yeah, there's, and I think that it, he's, whatever he writes about, he's very aware of. it's. It's just astounding how one man can know so much, because when you're going through the satanic verses, there's just so much stuff that you just, don't understand, and so you have to look it all up. And then for something like The Ground Beneath Her Feet, I actually understood most of what he was referencing because it was all rock and roll history and subculture, and Mm -hmm. so I just lucked out that that was something that I was already interested in, 60s music and the Beatles and Andy Warhol, so Mm -hmm. I picked up on all of those references, whereas... Some other people might not, and I also really like Courtney Love, and he also references her Hmm. quite a bit in the book, too.
0: Okay. Well, I have to admit that I I did get it from the library, and I have started, and I I totally intend to finish it, but I'm not all the way through it yet, but uh, I have noticed a lot of very uh, symbolic uh, things, uh, mythological uh, threads that I've been following, um, even from the very first date in the book, uh, which we've kind of alluded to with the Satanic Verses, but uh, the very first date in the book when he picks up the story is uh, Valentine's Day 1989, which is the day of that the fatwa is released upon him for the Satanic Verses. So right away he's working with Greek. Or Greek is that correct mythology, or is it Roman?
1: Um, I think it's Greek. I couldn't say for sure.
0: Right. Okay, but he's 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 all the way into like multiple. He's talking to you on multiple levels at all times. I th- I feel yeah. like, um, and he's using familiar imagery. He's using internal imagery. You know, he's 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 doing the whole thing. And and it's it's intimidating to me as somebody who I want to understand this. But I, I think that what you're saying about reading this, like you said, seven six or seven times that you read this, yeah. I mean, you almost have to with things like this. You know, you can't like you. you uh, what I've, I've heard some rule when I was in college that you read first for a uh, plot and uh, basic character structures, and then you read a second time for the larger meanings, and then the third time for analysis. Like you, you keep digesting the same thing over and over again. And the you know, Salman Rushdie. You read it once. I just feel like it's going to be like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Sometimes um, you're gonna you're gonna walk away being like, I'm going to have to see that a couple more times to, to really understand what I, what I just saw. So
1: Yeah, I think Oscar Wilde said the only books worth reading are worth reading twice.
0: <laughs> totally. So it's,
1: kind of, it's kind of hard for a reader because you want to discover new books but then also, if you really love something, you really should be dedicating more than one read to the book that you state that you love.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, now I'm a big Stephen King fan. Um, mm-hmm. and in fact, I'm, I'm going to admit something I've never admitted on this podcast before, but I used to run a Stephen King, uh, email, uh, listserv, uh, newsletter. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So that there's my nerd credentials on the, on the, on the table right there. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, but he has a lot of internal, and if you've ever read Stephen King, he has a lot of internal, uh, characters that appear in different books. Um, you know, Know, Pennywise the clown, I believe, pops up a few places. Uh, Randall Flag from the the stand, of course, you know, appears in the Dark Tower and other places. Um, so he has these like internal mythologies, but like he has also larger mythologies. Now, um, you've read more Salman Rushdie than I have, obviously. Mm-hmm. So um, does he have uh, themes or characters or ideas that he carries from book to book? I'm, I'm, I got to imagine that he does.
1: Yeah, he doesn't really have character um well his two children's books are connected
2: uh-huh.
1: um, but I've read them so long ago that I I can't quite say how th- I think it's um there's two there's two siblings in the first book mm-hmm. and then in the second book the younger sibling is the primary narrator whereas in the first book the older sibling was the primary Mm -hmm. I think that's how it was connected, because he wrote the first book for his son when his son turned, I think, 15. And then he had another son later on in life, and then his other son was like, Hey, it's about time for my book to come out, isn't it? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so it was kind of sweet that he did that.
0: Yeah, that's that's cool. uh,
1: I think mostly for him a lot of it is... Just trying to find your identity and the outsider, and also you know like just people moving from one country to another and trying to kind of redefine themselves or find or define themselves where they they move so mm-hmm
0: yeah um i've read some i've not read a lot of other uh indian literature um but I did notice that uh you know right away they really get into they salman Rushdie gets into um, uh you know his like the the character's backstory as far as family and their several generations back um I, I, is that a common uh, Indian uh, novel theme to explore because I'm thinking maybe the caste system maybe has something to do with that. You know, it's very indicative of where you are to know where the family was. Uh, do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure because I've only read a few Indian authors. Just
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm very limited myself, so I can't really say for sure.
1: And um, I'm trying to think the I'm blanking on his name, but I really love his work. He, he's the one that wrote the book that was turned into Slumdog Millionaire, Q&A. Hmm.
0: Thick something. <laughs> I can cheat and look it up on the computer if you
1: want. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up now. Okay. But it was um, – that book was really good. Um, oh, good.
0: Okay, I haven't read that.
1: Uh, oh, I can't – I. Of course, Q&A means it's, like, such a strange thing to call a book. So,
0: mm-hmm. let's see, Swim Dog, Uh Simon Bo- Beaufoy um, Or, no, that's the, mm, that's the movie.
1: That's, yeah. Um, trying to find it.
0: Vika uh, Swarop?
1: Yeah, that's it. He's really great, too. Mm. Um, but I don't remember that there was too much history. Hmm. In that because okay. well in in that sort of situation the character really had no history because right. he was. Um he didn't have parents, so
0: right. Well, I'm in. I'm in the part of the book where they're talking about how the kid gets hit in the head with the uh, ball, and and you know he's at the the cricket match, and and he doesn't speak, and you know what I mean. Like that we're we're learning all about yeah, you know backstory, and and we're all into the family and stuff, and, and <laughs> maybe that's a common thing for novels to do. I don't know, <laughs> but
1: um, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of a lot of authors do that. Thing.
2: Yeah, okay, Enough.
1: Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, then you have other authors that kind of just give you nothing, but sure. I really do like that you get so much information about a character, but somehow Rushdie is such a good writer that you don't forget mm-hmm. who the characters are.
0: Right. For sure, for sure. Um, well, I mean, the way that I got to know Salman Rushdie was actually through Christopher Hitchens, um, mm-hmm. and I've really uh, just grown to just appreciate his mind and and people that he associated with. I've I've discovered other authors through people he knew, but he really seemed to have a special place for for Salman Rushdie, and and that I kind of that encouraged me to uh, seek out more of his work. Um, yeah. One one of the things that he said uh, was that the. reason Reason he never wrote fiction was because he wasn't musical and all his friends who like Salman Rushdie who were um you know fiction writers all had a certain musicality. They knew how to play music like they they, they understood music, you know how to make it. Um mm-hmm. and that was very important in their making of fiction. Uh what do, what do you think of that idea as far as Salman Rushdie?
1: Um I can't remember if I don't know that he has any musical abilities.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to claim anything for, for yeah. him. I honestly but, don't know. But but, but it, yeah, he
1: definitely has a lyrical like cadence to mm. his writing. Like it really lends itself well. And if you see him read, and there's tons of videos of him reading, mm-hmm. um, you you really are struck by the language and how it kind of sweeps across you, and, um, yeah, so I definitely think that it's there, and Mm -hmm. he knows how to use language in ways that most people can't, and it's it's crazy, too, because, mm -hmm. you know, he's from India, but then he goes to school in England, Mm -hmm. and so, but he's always... I don't know. I don't know if that has something to do with it either. That he's from another country.
0: Yeah, I think it must. I mean, it, it has to have some effect because um, if you have to learn a language that's not your first language. You have to construct a language out of, you know, just, you know, you have to make it yourself, you know, and it's it's not a natural thing that you have to do from the time that you can talk. Um, yeah. So you have to kind of construct language in a different way. So yeah. maybe that helps you deconstruct language, too, when it comes to writing it. You know, you're not bound by the same rules. Um, <laughs> it's funny, this is actually reminding me of a book I read um, called The Song Machine, uh, which is about uh modern uh hit making uh and how all of the top 40 songs you hear nowadays are by the same group of swedes um there're like five people that are making like 40% of what you hear on the radio um, oh. <laughs> yeah but they make it like an assembly line like you do the top line uh you you do the the beat or whatever so they've they've got it down to a formula so um well, it's interesting because they're they're taking uh they're taking American culture sec- that comes second hand to you know Scandinavia a couple of years after the fact and they're they're regurgitating it back to us as our own pop culture um. <laughs> but they're doing it like an assembly line, like the Ford, you know, assembly line, you know, like, they're just, you know, different piece work and they're just making these on the, on the same formula. Anyway, it was a super interesting book I read last year, but,
2: um, oh, cool. <laughs> um,
0: it's by a, a, a writer for the New Yorker and he's written several, uh, pieces about, uh, K-pop, for example, uh, my friend Jonathan and I talked about that on the second episode of the podcast because he uh, teaches English in South Korea. Um, but he's saying that like they uh they just say things like uh when the people that do the top line, like the people that do the beat will put a beat down, and then somebody will go into the vocal booth and they will sing uh kind of gibberish to start with, but they will start to form words as the words match the beat and the rhythm that they're hearing in their head Um, and they form the lyrics that way by what sounds sound good together and these people don't speak English as a first language so it's not really important to that like if you think back at like Irving Berlin and you know Scott Joplin and all these people of the early American Standard songwriting uh, there was a lot of emphasis on uh, being clever in the lyrics and turning phrases and being a double entendres and you know all this kind of stuff but like if you don't know you are just hearing words and sounds and you're trying to put them together if you're able to deconstruct a language from outside you don't have the same constraints as somebody who's a native speaker because you don't have any expectations of how it's supposed to sound so you can take it apart and put it back together in ways that make sense for what you're trying to do
1: oh that makes sense
0: so Anyway, I'll, I just put my soapbox away, and it's on the. <laughs> but it's a great book; you really should read it. It's it's it was very eye opening.
1: <laughs> yeah, that does sound. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. Nabokov he also wrote in English.
0: Yeah, yeah. I my, my wife and I have talked about. The, didn't he write every single sentence on a different note card too?
1: Um, I think he did two to three sentences on them. But yeah, he used little yeah. note cards. Right. And he only wrote on one side.
0: Yeah, it's in, yeah, it's just intimidating uh, as someone who uh, writes for a living, ostensibly, uh, to read somebody like that because uh, it's just it just puts you to shame if you're not like sweating over every word, you know, it's like, wow, you know, you read Lolita. It's so, um, it's, it's so intricate. Every, every word, it, there's not a word that's out of place. You know what I mean? It's, it's like every word needs to be there and it's, it's intimidating to somebody who wants to put words on paper. It's like, I I don't even want to foul the paper with, with these unnecessary words, you know, <laughs> because there's these people that are going to write out each individual word on a note card and, you know, it's intimidating. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so. So, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is I saw on your website that you, um, met Chuck Polnick, Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read, uh, the sequels to Fight Club yet that are on, um, graphic novel, but, mm-hmm. um, can you tell people a little bit about them?
1: Yeah, I'll just give you the brief without any spoilers. Yes, uh, please. So it's, um, it, it takes place ten years after Fight Club, the book slash movie, ends. And the narrator is married to Marla, and they have a child. And she's growing bored, and so she switches his meds. Mm-hmm. And so then um, Tyler Durden comes back. Mm. And so it's ten comics of these characters. So it's... I, I actually read, I haven't really read comic books except for when I was much younger and I didn't quite understand that they came in order or anything. (laughs) I would just read them, I'd buy them at, you know, garage sales or flea markets. Right. But but then I got older and I was like, oh, you need to go, what, every month or week? This is just too much because I read too much. It was too much of a commitment, but because one of my favorite authors was releasing this story, and I thought, oh, wow, he's doing it by comic. So I started going to the comic book store, and I really liked that whole, that whole, like, um, what's it called? It's just, I'm trying to think of what the word is. I can't remember. But anyhow, you just really enjoy this feeling of like you have to go to the comic book store and you have to buy this comic and then do you read one at a time or do you read them in batches I don't know everyone's different so you know when you pick up a comic now half of them are ads Mm -hmm. so what you're holding isn't really genuine because Mm -hmm. half of it you can take out
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: but anyhow it's really good and I really really
0: recommend it Cool, cool. Well, uh, I'm a huge Chuck Palahniuk fan. Um, I think, uh, I, I'm just trying to think of his first few books. Uh, we have, uh, of course, Fight Club, and then, um, oh, what was the serial killer uh, women one? um Invisible models. Monsters. Thank you. Yes, yes. I love that book. Um, I love Survivor. Um, I thought Haunted was just great. Um, yeah. That was so cool how he brought all his uh, characters together in one place. That's so fun. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed that.
1: <laughs> did, you, did you hear... About how he, how many people were getting sick. At yes. time.
0: I love that. I love it. And I almost got sick the first time I read that story.
1: I actually was okay. Like, uh, I don't, I guess I have, like, a really high tolerance, and I was fine. Uh-huh. But then I read him, like, I read, I listened to him read it, mm-hmm. and it's not other people, it's him, because he's written it so he knows exactly where to pause.
0: He's an intense like guy. Really I've, I've heard, I, I think I heard Haunted where he read it, and it was, wow, it was intense. Like, he's That's he's That's when I intense started getting sick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I knew what was happening, but it was just the way he read it.
0: <laughs> I'm like, oh. Wow. Not that I ever did the thing that they describe in the story, but I had uh-huh. a pool at home, and I understand. I felt the suction that can happen, you know, at one of those things. Yeah. So I get that feeling. It's like I never did that thing that they're describing, of course. <laughs> yeah. But, but I get that, you know, it was a very tactile thing. I was like, oh, oh no, 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 no. no just thinking of it, just, yeah, it's too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think, well, um, I've seen him speak a lot, and he always says that what he finds the most interesting and most scary are the stories that could possibly happen, not like mm. oh, some yeah, crazy totally. zombie mummy thing, but oh. all those stories <laughs> seem like they could happen. <laughs> I know.
0: You know? Yeah, it's and terrible. <laughs> he
1: he says that... And it's funny because he's, he has such dark stories that people actually confess things to him.
2: Mm.
1: Like, mm-hmm. they just quietly tell him, like you said, that one time some girl came up to him, I think it was at Comic-Con, and said that her her family she lived with her mom and dad and they had a dog and her parent and the dog was getting old and starting to pee places or whatever, you know. <laughs> and so the dog, um funny so how that it was just this like dog wandering around. So she brought her her boyfriend over while her parents were out and they had sex on her parents' bed, Mm. but then her parents came home early and they freaked out and they got off the bed, but, um, I don't know if the girl had her period or what, but then there was some, you know, there was some stains on the, Mm -hmm. on the bed, so she's hiding in the closet or down the hallway. The parents come in and are like, shit, and then they, and they, they leave and she has no idea, but the parents took the dog to be put to sleep. Mm. And it was all because of her having sex on her parents' bed because oh. they thought the mess was by the dog. <laughs> so it's like weird stories like that. Like, just, And this girl was like, I've never told anyone this before. Mm-hmm. And so then, of course, he tells, you know, people on book tour. But it's just people do that to him. Mm-hmm. And he says that he does take a lot of his stuff from things that, he've he- that he's heard or people have confessed or things mm-hmm. he's read. I mean, he's studied journalism, so it makes sense. That totally,
0: story. yeah. So they
1: feel like they are journalism.
0: Well, I mean, he had a book of uh, journalism, right? A Stranger Than Fiction, right? Wasn't that his book of uh, yeah. nonfiction? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and also he had that uh, book about Portland, right?
1: Right. That's the one book I haven't read.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's fun. That um, I have friends who live in Portland I really want to go. I mean, not just because of that book, but also because of that book. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I I it's definitely on my list to for sure
0: to read. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good one. Um but uh let's see. The last couple I haven't actually read. Um I didn't finish uh Pygmy. Uh I didn't I my my wife finished um what was the one? It was uh a person's name.
2: Oh, I don't
0: remember. It was a, about... Okay, I'm going to look it up. But, um... It wasn't... I didn't really care for Diary. It wasn't my favorite. Oh, yeah. Um...
1: Ew. I liked Rant.
0: Yeah, that was the... Sorry, that was the one I was trying to think of that I thought was someone's yeah. name. But, um... Yeah. I heard that was a good one. Um... I didn't finish Hell. Oh, yeah. Uh... I don't know. I just haven't been able to like really get into the last couple, but. Um...
1: Oh yeah, there's a really disturbing scene. What was was it in Hell or the the one after it? Um, oh wait. Oh, are you, it's damned that you're thinking of
0: right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> no, that's, there, that's... There's, there's no book on it. <laughs> I know. I was... <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: um, then there's this other one that came after it, um... Doomed, that was the one where...
0: Damn, what was that one?
1: Um, it follows the same girl, but she's now on Earth as a ghost.
0: Oh, I missed that one. Huh.
1: Yeah, that one is really good, too, and it's just crazy because I... When he's writing, it just seems natural, mm-hmm. not like he's trying to shock you.
2: Yeah, right.
1: Whereas, I, I picked up some book... I can't remember what it was called, but I only got maybe 15 pages in, and I felt like I was reading something written by, like, a 15-year-old kid who was trying to shock you, (laughs) you know? And I was just like, I don't – I mean, I'm not shocked easily, and what he was writing wasn't shocking, but I Mm -hmm. felt like he was just just trying everything to get your attention into – piss you off, and I was like, I don't really think what I want to read. There's way too many other books out there. Sure. So, you know, I usually read a book all the way through. I hardly ever don't finish them, just hmm. because it frustrates me to not finish them.
0: <laughs> Okay. Well, fair enough, yeah. Um, I can't say the same, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, I, I'm overly ambitious in how many books I start is my problem. So,
1: Do you start multiple books at the same
0: time? Oh, God, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, I'll never finish a book. If I do two at once, one of them just falls by the wayside. Okay. So I always finish it. Yeah. Well, not always. I'd say 97% of the time. Mm-hmm. I could probably name off the books that I didn't finish because wow. for one reason or another usually those were when I was in grad school and I started too close to the semester and then I just gave up.
0: Okay. Well, we, just so you know, I'm not any less intimidated. <laughs> so <laughs> If that's what you're if that's what you're going for, you no, mission accomplished.
1: No, I, I haven't No, it's it's not not trying to intimidate. It. <laughs>
0: No, it's just how you are. It's just, it's just, yeah. you, I don't work that way. So, you know, sadly, you know, it seems like you, you, you concentrate and finish more things, uh, in general, I'm sure, so, but, uh... I don't know
1: about in general, I think I <laughs> too much time reading, but, you
0: know... Well, you know, it's a, it's a good way to spend your time, uh, I don't regret any time I've ever spent reading, for sure. Um... Yeah. Now, did you it's read, uh, the Invisible Monsters Remix?
1: Yes, I did.
0: What happened uh, different than the original story?
1: Um, I can't... I'd read Invisible Monsters so long ago. I don't remember too much. Too many different... I mean, I can't really compare them, but it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, he did all these weird things, like you had to hold the book up to a mirror to read one chapter. Hmm. The chapter was like three pages, or... Um, he he inserted personal bits of his life which were really cool mm-hmm. um just really strange stories that you know just you know if you read them you if he if he wrote them in the story they'd seem pretty false because it was just the coincidences were too strange but he was like no this actually happened to me in real life so
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah i really um I really can't compare the two, sadly.
0: Mm. I just thought of another Choke Palahniuk book I love, uh, Lullaby.
1: Oh, yeah, that one was good, too.
0: Yeah, that was a good one. Um, What did you think of Choke, and what did you think of the movie of Choke?
1: I didn't see the movie
0: Choke. It's got Sam Um, Rockwell in it, if you like Sam Rockwell.
1: Who's Sam Rockwell?
0: Uh... He was in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He was in, um, uh, the George Clooney movie about the game show host slash, slash assassin. Um, oh. Uh, he was, he was in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moon. He oh. was in Moon.
1: Oh, all movies I have not seen. <laughs> okay, that's okay.
0: This is not helping <laughs> Um... Anyway, but um, what did you think of the novel of Choke?
1: Oh, I liked it. I thought it was a really good idea, and I thought that it was so accurate. People want to save people, and mm-hmm. people want to be responsible for other people. Mm-hmm. They may not admit it, but I think that it's very true.
0: Yeah, definitely. It definitely felt very uh, realistic in uh, the problem he was diagnosing, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others I haven't mentioned yet, but um, yeah, I think we talked about... It. Oh, Snuff. We didn't talk about Snuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that was, book was... Yeah. Pretty crazy. It was, wasn't it? I mean, it's a real thing that probably happens sort of sometimes. I mean, you know, especially in the 70s, I'm sure, it happened. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's, like you said, I mean, that's the thing that makes his stories horrific is that they they touch reality a little bit. You know what I mean? They They kind of trigger something in your brain that says, this is something I should actually be scared of, you know?
1: Yeah, but I really, I can't remember the character's name, but I remember being happy with the way that Helena created her because I thought she was strong, and I thought that she was in control, and I never, because I, nev- I never thought that it was putting her down. It was just like, this is a crazy, messed-up story, <laughs> you know, but it, it didn't feel like it had to do that. I felt like it was messed up not because of porn. It was because of, you know... That other plot line.
2: Sure. Absolutely.
1: You know, so that's what I also appreciated about it that I thought that it was a tasteful book in that sense. I mean, yes, it gets graphic and stuff, but I don't think that was, you know, that's problematic. It's just because sometimes I think that sex workers are kind of poo pooed quite a bit Mm -hmm. and looked down upon, especially in literature, and it's like frustrating to me because I don't really see that there's anything wrong with it so
0: definitely you know, I was definitely. just worried about her safety because it was going for a record of some sort uh, you know I mean? yeah so.
1: <laughs> no I I that part was like but I but I did feel like it was very respectful about her oh for
0: that, sure like, definitely she's like
1: this is what I want to do I want to break this record mm-hmm. and you know Yeah, it was, and it's weird because sometimes I think when I'm reading a book, uh, you can kind of tell when there's violence going to happen, there's this foreboding feeling. And although there was a foreboding feeling of like, wow, that's a lot of sex for one woman to have. <laughs> it never felt violent or sketchy. Right. right. Just like, this is her decision. Mm-hmm. And while that is not a decision I would personally make.
0: Um, although so. if you're going to make the decision, you may as well make the record breaking decision. I say, <laughs> you know, if you're going to go for it, go off all the way, you know what I mean? So, (laughs)
1: Totally. Exactly. So, you know, it was...
0: Yeah, it was just really well written. I thought. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I did enjoy that one. That was good. Um, and I think the one of the strengths of Chuck Palahniuk is he really commits to a certain aesthetic and a certain idea. Um, and I really think the thing that separates him from other people is that he kind of throws his hat out there and he just he just goes for it, you know. Um, yeah. Whereas other people kind of hold themselves back. He he really doesn't hold himself back. Um, he, he kind of explores things that are universal by being very specific, you know. Yeah. Um oh, I just saw another one we didn't talk about, uh, Tell All.
1: Oh yeah, that one was good too. I liked it, but it wasn't it wasn't my favorite.
0: It's not like a top five for me or anything, but um it was good. I thought it was on the it was on the better better side of, of the ones that he's done for sure. Um yeah. Now there's something called Make Something Up.
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: Those are his short stories. Oh, okay. Well, so I'm I'm interested in that. I, I love his short stories. I think he's a great short story writer.
1: Yeah, I actually don't like short stories in general
0: because. Oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> really. Just yeah, because. Why. I feel like it's, it's not enough time for me to care about the character. So if someone dies, I don't care. If someone gets raped, <laughs> oh well, it doesn't matter.
0: So like, but, how do I care? <laughs> but you don't appreciate that they let you fill a little bit of it in for yourself? No. No. It doesn't you I don't mean, I, I I
1: totally I okay, so I totally respect short stories. I get that they're like I get that there's a special art to them because mm-hmm. you're compacting everything, but for me I generally just don't like them because I'd rather commit myself to characters for a long-term period. Wow. But I really like his, and I really like Irvin Welsh's short stories, too, so that it could be problematic. It could just be that I only like to Hmm. read short stories by authors I like. But then I read this book that everyone really liked. I think was it called Tales from the Goon Squad?
0: That sounds familiar.
1: And and everyone was talking about how great it was, and everyone was reading it, and then when I was reading it, everyone was asking me, don't you love it? And I was like, um, it's okay, because it was kind of one of those books where they they have different characters, and they meld them all together sort of loosely, and I didn't really like that. Mm. So, but yeah, the Chuck Palnick short stories. Are pretty good. Some of them are really short, but some of them are a little bit longer.
0: Jennifer so. Egan is the person you're speaking of.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: I've not read anything by her, so um, that's
1: the only book I
0: read. She apparently wrote has won a Pulitzer and has the Invisible Circus what was her first book.
1: Oh, the yeah. Ke- I don't know. Yeah, the I'm Ke- not really. a A big fan of Pulitzer
0: Prize winners. (laughs) Whoa! Short stories, boom. Pulitzer Prize, boom. (laughs) Whoa! Dropping fools left and right.
1: (laughs) I really like Booker Prize
0: winners. Oh, you hear that, Pulitzer people? (laughs) Oh, it's on. Um, Well, that's funny because they just announced. They
1: all care about what I think. (laughs) They're like, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. hey, you gotta let them know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, because I I've tried looking, you know, like I look at the Pulitzer Prize winning books, um, just in the past, and then currently, like I've read a couple, and I'm I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So, hmm. So, I don't know. It's it's just, I don't know what it is. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. I know I've tried reading about the differences in the past, but I don't know. To me, the Booker Prizes, the Booker Prize winning books or authors that I've read seem to be telling you a story in a different way. Like, as in, it's the style, and I don't really know what it is about the Pulitzer. Mm. Like, what merits Pulitzer for a book. Hmm. I know that one was just—they were just announced. I think.
0: Well, I mean, here's something that might be useful to what we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. all, you know, the Academy Awards are voted on by a certain—you know—small group of people, um, yeah. and they uh, all voted for, um, or the majority voted for, 12 Years a Slave" to be the the majority thing, and. Most of the people that voted on it admitted that they had not seen it, but it just seemed like the right thing. To do I haven't seen that movie yet but I don't know if it's the best movie or not but it's just like it seems like they were just trying to send a message by saying that and it's just like it seems like we should say this so do you think that the Pulitzers are also like there are trends and people just try to be like I think this is what people think we should say and you know it's like this is this is what we're you know going to put forward as like you know we want to send a message that this is the thing we say
1: I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know that I could, I would want to say that about them. I think it's just a personal preference, you mm. know, like some people like Barnes and Noble, some people like Borders. It's like maybe one is more academic and heady and one is more um, subversive, hmm. you know?
0: So you think, think the Booker, the, 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 you're talking about the Man Booker Prize, right? Yeah. So you mm. think that was, do you think they choose more subversive books?
1: I don't know, but I really like them more, and I tend to like subversive books.
0: <laughs> well, I do, too, so I'm interested. I want to like, find out more of these. So.
1: Well, for example, Salman Rushdie won the Booker Prize okay. for Midnight's Children, and then he won the Booker of Bookers for Midnight's Children. Mm. So basically they took all of the Booker Prize winners and launched them together, and then they voted on which was the best of all of them. So, hmm. Yeah, and then Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending, also won the Booker Prize, and that was just amazing and super short. But it was more like a novella, and it I don't know, it was really good.
0: Hmm. So. What do you think about, and now we've talked about short stories, what do you think mm-hmm. about novellas?
1: Um, I like them if they're, you know, if they don't add too much stuff that's unnecessary. To make them longer, you know, because sometimes I think that someone's writing a short story and then they don't know what to do, so they just add some stuff in there that they don't really need to make it.
0: <laughs> so you a approach it from an, a, it's just a overstuffed short story that you hate anyway, um, and it's not enough to be a, a proper novel because um, yeah. it's not a good enough idea.
1: And or it's not even. That or it's
0: that they didn't stuff. follow through. Maybe.
1: I think that sometimes the sh- you know, like people are just trying to make things longer than they need to be. I mm. know when I was younger, I used to try to make things longer because I thought it should be a particular length.
2: Um,
1: but I don't, I don't really know for sure. I've only read a couple of books where I thought, "Wow, you guys are you're really stretching it." Like, um, I read this book by Mary Norris. It's um, Confessions of a Comic Queen. Mm. And so she's the copy editor for The New Yorker. Mm. And so it's, like, a really great book. It's really funny. I really enjoyed it. But then there's a there's – a, and it's short, but there's a chapter on pencils that she likes. And I thought that was just thrown in there. I was like, okay – I'm a copy editor. I'm also an editor. Do I really want to read a chapter on pencils? I mean, I'm nerdy, but that's just like... I felt like that was just pushing it. No one wants to read a chapter about these particular pencils that you like. But, of course, I read the chapter. (laughs) It's the
0: book. (laughs) Say whatever you want now. You still follow through. (laughs) Yeah. So...
1: But, um, the, I think that's really the only time where I've thought that something was being pushed.
0: Right. You know? Sure. So. Now, um, I'm a journalist and I follow AP style to the letter. Um, I think I read somewhere that you are in favor, uh, or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Oxford comma. You want to explain what yeah. the Oxford comma is?
1: Yes. So when you have three items that you're listing, okay. Um, that are just a grouping or a pairing or three together uh you put a comma in between each of them, so you'd say apples, comma, bananas, comma, and oranges. whereas a lot of people some people don't think that the Oxford comma is necessary, and so they just say apples, comma, bananas and oranges. no. So. Mm-hmm. In my mind, and in many, in all Oxford comma people's minds, all the defenders say that you're pairing those two together. So you're pairing bananas and oranges when really they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can say like, you know, this book is dedicated to my parents, comma, Anne Rand and God. So you're saying that Anne Rand and God are your parents. Okay. So So that's just an example.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right.
0: Um besides the fact that separately, besides what I'm about to say, I think it's over punctuation to do what you're talking about. And that Mm -hmm. I'm smart enough to figure out that I'm not actually gonna include the last two things together. Um I am a slave to AP style by profession. Um, I don't have a choice. Um, whatever the Associated Press says is the style, and I'm sure this is true wherever someone you know publishes. You know, but if you're a member of AP and you wish to remember, remain a member of AP, you you follow AP style, and um, AP style says that there is no such thing as an Oxford comma. Well, I Do you, do do you think, think I'm doing it wrong? Uh,
1: <laughs> yes.
2: But wrong.
0: do you think I'm doing it wrong for the wrong reasons? Do you think I should rebel?
1: No, because those are the rules. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is, so I I helped create a style guide for the mm-hmm. museum that I work at and I'm very proud of it because we didn't have one because when I came in, there were all sorts of things that were very confusing. Like, you know, there was no sense of order. Like some people used a serial comma, some people didn't. So in this place, luckily, the the director of marketing that was here, um, when we created the style guide, we talked about it, and we both agreed on – using the serial comma, but, you know, if I worked somewhere else I didn't want to use it and the style was already established, then I would adhere to the rules because it's part of working at an institution or within community is right but
0: but them. they do respond to outside pressure because i in the time that i've been a professional journalist i have seen changes uh you know mostly in technology areas but mm-hmm. um, website used to be two words with the w capital um yeah. you know and since then it's turned into one world word with no capitals you know an internet um, you know, it it may depending on what day of the week it is, it might be a capital I or not. Um, but you know, they consider that a proper noun sometimes. You know, and that's just them not knowing. You know, they're they're learning things too. They're taking new information in. So yeah, I think almost they almost need to see too many bad examples of Oxford commas not working out because the second they change it, guess what? I'll I'll change it too because we used to use a state abbreviation. After uh, you know, uh, Phoenix, Arizona it wasn't Phoenix, Arizona. It was Phoenix, unless it was in a dateline or a cut line. Um, it was Phoenix, A R I Z. Dot. You know, or it was you know Boston, M A S S. Dot. You know, it wouldn't wasn't uh-huh. Massachusetts. You know, but but now they've changed that, so I, so I don't do that anymore. Um, so. Anyway, everyone else who isn't, like, an editor or, or, a, or a word nerd has, has, like, gone to sleep listening to this right no, now.
1: No, they're <laughs> having the time. They're like, this is the most exciting conversation we have ever had. I didn't know people cared so much about commas.
0: It's it's a major point of discussion. We talk about it all the time in the newsroom. It's, oh, it's... Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can't write properly, then why would anyone bother reading your Mm -hmm. story, even if it is, you know, an interesting or important story? If you can't write well, if you can't, you know, represent the American version of the English language.
0: (laughs) Nice qualifier, BTW.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, you know, perhaps... Americans have lazy, <laughs> and I have adopted it as well because I don't want to come across as a pretentious ass.
0: Uh, sure, you have to moderate yourself. I have to moderate myself all the time.
1: <laughs> well, Nabakov's name is Nabakov. <laughs> but if I say it like that, oh. <laughs>
0: Oh,
1: oh, my God. People are going to be like, who the hell is she? So, yeah, I think we all make consensus because, you know, that's what happens. Like, Wow. You know, we've dropped a lot of spelling. You know, like catalog used to be C-A-T-A-L-O-G-U-E. Mm. Yeah. But we dropped off the G-U-E. I mean, the U-E. Mm. So, I mean. Sure. And it's. But it's also interesting, too, because you know there's the you know America broke off from England, so why should we do everything the way they did it Mhm. Because shouldn't we have just stayed associated with them if we wanted everything to be identical?
0: So, but English is a Germanic language, um, and I, I, I think you don't realize what that means until you because I, uh, I I went to some you know ram, Romance language countries uh, during college, and I I went there with my Germanic tongue, and it was just <laughs> it was hard to communicate, you know, because um, you know we don't have to know um, you know for example like, uh, or uh, you know, at the end of a word, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't have to, we don't have to know inflection as part of language, you know, as much, you know, it's still part of it, but it's, it's still kind of a mealy mouth way to talk. So, uh, English is just a weird language all
1: around. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, how would you? How would you describe? Because I, I actually talked to uh, Swedish people uh, on my last podcast uh, for three hours uh, because uh, they have a phone number that you can call. and You talk to a random Swede, um, and it's and it's amazing because they all speak more than one language. Um, and they all, you know they speak they speak english you know we have to you know kind of go slow some areas but you know i couldn't speak another language you know yeah. like if someone called me at all, so and everyone could, and it was amazing. And one of the people I talked to was like, "Yeah, we all we all speak more than one language, man."
1: <laughs> Basically, I think every country does except
0: for America. <laughs> yeah, we just know one, our our one legs language. <laughs>
1: <It's like laughs> I know, and then it's so I have this friend um, that he's from. Uh, he's from Ecuador, mm-hmm. and so we were speaking, and he said, we were at work, this is when I worked at the SF MOMA on the floor mm-hmm. in a gallery, and so we had to check to make sure all these microphones were working, and he said, um, I have, what did he say, he said, I have, Oh, it was so correct, but now I can't remember. Oh, he said, I've confirmed that all of the microphones are working. And then I kind of smiled, and he was like, what? I was like, nothing. And he said, what, did I say it wrong? And I said, no, you actually said it precisely, like, perfect. So much so that, you know... An American would never say it that way. like, what? What should I say? I checked it out. And it's like, yes, that is what you should have said. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) So then he would, you know, whenever he would, you know, confirm, he would confirm that they were working properly
2: Mm -hmm.
1: instead of checking them out. So it's kind of interesting because it's sad. People come here, and they speak perfect
2: Mm-hmm. English
1: and then they have to dumb themselves down you know and use our slang
2: yeah
0: so, yeah you know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um, it is It is pretty amazing oh well we're coming up on the hour mark uh, can you talk much longer or yeah okay I cool we can
1: talk a little longer
0: awesome yeah. um, we always talk about music um, mm-hmm. what kind of music do you like <laughs>
1: Um, I like a lot of mod music and a lot of Britpop and a lot of goth music. Not so much, I guess not a lot of goth music, I guess I just like three bands.
0: Three, what three bands? Um, I like
1: Bauhaus, Joy Division, and, oh, I don't even know, I guess... Just the, well, I guess some people kind of say The Cure, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like those, like, weird offshoots, you know, like, all those bands that are basically super mm-hmm. influenced by Joy Division. Like, She Wants Revenge and Interpol. Mm-hmm. So
0: That's cool. You know. um, there's a really good documentary you should see about Factory Records. Um, that uh, does that they did all the um, Joy Division and um, what is the band that was after Joy Division with three of the four order? members. Yes, thank you. Um, all the um, records that they put out are numbered. It's all factory records. um like number 56, number, you know, they just like number them. Um, but it's it's a really good documentary about uh, cool. just the whole music scene in that area of the country and how there was like one Sex Pistols show that like set off an entire, uh, you know, uh, genre of music basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, New Order, Joy Division, I love uh, so much. Um, I love the bass player of the those bands, what is his name? Oh, I don't know. He he plays um he plays so high on the neck. It's like he plays such high notes, he's not what a bass player is normally. He basically yeah. redefined the bass for that whole time in music as far as I'm concerned.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't know his name. I'm really bad with
0: But I'm just thinking of like Love Will Tear Us Apart. Yeah. Like that bass line is iconic. Like that that whole like what yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Um but he said the reason that he did that was because the bass amp he had uh wouldn't uh produce the lower sounds very well. So to be heard at all, he had to play high up on the neck and almost play it like a regular guitar. Oh. <laughs> so I thought that was kinda cool. That is Um yeah that's 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 cool i i like i like all that kind of stuff um yeah i like uh there's a there's a really good uh live version of uh blue monday um that i uh, that was recorded at the bbc that's really good you should check out
1: i think i probably have heard it but i'll have to look for it yeah I'm not so into New Order anymore, Hmm. just because I used to be a club kid, and New Order kind of fits every music mold, because since they're related to Joy Division, they'll be played at goth clubs. Hmm. Because they're 80s, they're played at 80s clubs. Because they're British, they're played at Britpop clubs.
2: Hmm.
1: And then people that are desperate, Sean actually told me this about the beats per minute, that their beats per minute—I don't know what Sean was saying, but you remember he's a DJ. So he was trying to teach me about beats per minute.
0: I'm sure he probably had this conversation with me at one point. <laughs>
1: and he was just like, "Blah blah blah. The beats per minute of Joy De- or of New Order just fit perfectly. So if you're ever desperate, if your song, if the song you ever had queued up wasn't going to work, that's the DJ's go-to." <laughs> Song because you can always, uh, you know, sync it up. And I was like, oh, okay, great, thanks. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, I'm glad if I'm ever in that yeah. situation I'll remember that
2: yeah
1: just always always use new order and then you will avoid a train wreck
0: yeah exactly yeah to land a plane you, you grab the throttle and you push down and if you're ever in a sticky situation as a DJ <laughs> yes exactly
1: then you can thank Sean for that yeah exactly
0: I, I often do thank Sean for various pieces of random polish <laughs> for yeah. sure, for sure. Um well, that's cool. Uh sorry, what you, what else did you say besides those three bands? Um, you said something else.
1: I like uh I like mod music and Britpop. Oh,
0: oh, yes. I I had something on that. Like what yeah. Britpop bands do you like?
1: Um Pulp is my favorite. Mm. Uh I really I was a latecomer to The Smiths mm. and and Morrissey, I kind of held off against for them for so long, and then one day I actually listened to the lyrics, and I thought, "Oh my God, the man's a genius mm-hmm. so um, and I really like Kula Shaker mm. I don't know if you ever listened to. Television. Oh, I, I
0: special ordered that from Amazon. I got Did it. Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Do you have the new one?
0: No, no, I don't have the new one. I have the, the old one. one. I have the old the, one. <laughs> no,
1: the new one just came out like ah. a month ago, but it's like thirty six dollars. Wow. So then I was like, why am I not? I love them. I should just yeah. buy it, but I was getting lazy.
0: So I just... <laughs> no, I. Yeah, that's that's funny you say that. I was, yeah, I very much like sought that out. That was that was definitely a find for me. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get that one.
1: <laughs> do you know about the mother? No. You don't know. So Crispy Mills is has a famous mother. Hmm. Haley Mills. I oh, do well. Haley Mills from *The Parent Trap*. Oh, okay. And from Pollyanna, huh. from all those old Disney movies. Right. So that's his mom. Hmm. So, um, anyhow, I was a big fan of the parent trap as a young child, so... Wow. I was pretty shocked to find out that that was his mom. I had no idea. I don't know why. I guess it's not that big of a deal, but... <laughs> to me, I was like,
0: well, it's Whoa! a big deal to me. I've never heard that before. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, you know. But anyhow, so I think those are those are like the main ones I listen okay. to a lot of other ones but not any like as obsessively mm. did you listen to pulp
0: I listened to oasis I listened to blur um very much so um I uh I'm afraid I was probably a little too late for most of the early stuff but I like the stone roses um oh, yeah they're good yeah for sure um the like.
1: Oasis too. I missed that one.
0: Yeah, that, I'm I'm probably like, I'm in. I'm just in the generation where that was like ubiquitous, and I just couldn't get away from it. so... <laughs> It wasn't even really a choice whether I liked Wonderwall or not. <laughs> I was a victim of my time.
1: And I think everyone has like these strong feelings towards Wonderwall. Like, oh, this so defines this precise moment in my life.
0: Stop! You're killing me.
1: It was everyone's song, you know. Like it was like my best friend's and my song in college, and then I moved out to San Francisco and then it was my friends my my best friends in San Francisco and my songs you know so,
0: it's, it's, really it's amazing how we're all the individual snowflakes in our own ways yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no I was I was right there for that for sure I was, I was caught in the Wonder Wall <laughs> I couldn't get out <laughs> if I wanted to um
1: Do you like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones better? You're killing me. (laughs) I know that's the question no one wants to ask because it's kind of annoying, but it's okay.
0: All right, all right. If I have to say, I'm Rolling Stones, but um, it's so you know I started to appreciate things like "Baby You're a Rich Man," you know, know, rock and roll music, you know, uh, you know I, I started to appreciate. Things that I had previously, you know, poo pooed about the Beatles, now I can I can put yeah. the Beatles into context and I can understand them. But I think just for my soul, I, I yeah, Rolling Stones, I have to, you know, I can't not.
1: Yeah. But they were created well with the anti-Beatles fans in mm-hmm. mind.
0: Sure, I know, I understand that.
1: But they were just. I really like the Rolling Stones too. But I do. I like the Beatles better.
0: Okay, fair enough. I feel
1: like they were...
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have a very popular opinion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Do I? I feel like... Well, I guess... Yes, I think in the general population, yes. But I feel like in my group of friends Uh or in my circle the places that I go, everyone likes the Rolling Stones better.
0: Yeah, I know. I, it's, a, it's it's a, it's a fun thing to say. <laughs> it feels good. It's like yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I'm not I'm not like everybody else. You don't know me.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As you listen
1: to Wonder Wall all <laughs>
0: Um, But yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't deny it. I mean, you can try to deny it. You, you know, you're making a statement by denying it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but it's something you you have to you have to recognize at a certain point that you're measuring yourself against it, and it's like, why am I measuring myself against it? You know, because it's yeah. the thing. You know, so you should just stop denying it. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like just settle in for the Beatles.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, but I like the Rolling Stones because they challenge you. You know, they're like, you know, there's a little bit of an edge. You know, like, like I don't know what's gonna happen. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like the Beatles were like that too, though. Yeah, that's true. You know,
0: I can't totally John deny it.
2: John used to
1: yell "fuck you" to all of his fans. What's up? He was like, he used to yell
2: Who like,
0: did?
1: profanities to his fans Who while did? he was playing live. John Lennon. Because when no he was in the Beatles it.
0: or when he was solo? Uh-huh.
1: When he was in the Beatles. Really? They were really, they were the ones that um, uh, their producer was really, or their manager, Brian Epstein, was really trying to, like, corral them because mm. they, were, they were the ones that were, like, always getting into trouble and they were the ones from the bad families. Mm-hmm. And then the Rolling Stones were, like, all from good families and really well behaved up mm-hmm. until a point. And so they were the ones that were always just... You know, getting into trouble and angry and mm-hmm. you know. but who knows? Then the Rolling Stones definitely lived up to their reputation.
2: Yeah, for excited. sure.
1: So, but yeah, I read a lot on them for my thesis, so
0: it's just um. Who are the Rolling Stones or the Beatles?
1: Uh, the Beatles. But then I read one book on the Rolling Stones. What then, book
0: did you read on the Rolling Stones?
1: Um. Was it The Authorized... I can't remember what it was called. Like, maybe Mm. The Authorized Biography or something. Mm. Um, It was a long time ago. And actually, that was one book I didn't finish reading because I was like, oh, I don't need it. (laughs) Because I was trying to figure out what... Uh, Salman Rushdie was basing the characters mm. on, or who? And I was like, Oh yeah, it's definitely John Lennon. It's, it's not Keith Richards or Mick Jagger.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, there's a really good uh, Beatles book you should read called uh, *You Never Give Me Your Money*, um, and it's about the acrimonious uh, financial split up of the Beatles. <laughs> oh my god! But <laughs> uh, I, oh, I
1: want to read that. that
0: oh, it's so funny. good. It's basically about the idealism of Apple Records and what it was going to be, and they were going to be like conventions and whatnot and then like it was like yoko ono like in court you know and people like cheating on their wives it was just crazy (laughs) so it's, it's it's a good book i liked it a lot but um yeah that's a good one um yeah, I guess I I, I I can't really, you know, I, I reflect back um, at mixes I made in college, you know, of music, and yeah. I, um, I judge myself harshly because I, I see that choices I made were based on the fact that I wanted people to think I was a certain way, and it's like, I know you think I'm going to pick this obvious thing, but I'm not going to pick the obvious thing, and I think a lot of my acrimony towards the Beatles is based around that idea, um, that I wanted to define myself by being like yeah I don't I don't know I reject the Beatles you know I'd reject the status quo and the norm and you're just supposed to like this um, you know and and I just realized that sometimes things are you know popular because you know they're good sometimes you know sometimes it's like
1: things are on the bestseller list because they're actually that good yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And you can't just you can't just reject that out of hand and just try to define yourself and be anti you know fill in the blank you know because it's the thing.
1: Yeah, people do that with poor Dan Brown.
0: <laughs> I want to hear your defense of Dan Brown. I want to hear this. A
1: really good writer. I want to hear I mean, it. He. I've read his, whenever I read his books, I get very, I get physically caught up in them in the sense where sometimes my heart starts to race and I have to put the book down because my heart is thumping so hard because he builds up scenes so well. Uh, and I understand that, like, those stories, you know, the, who was it, the Da Vinci Code, actually, that story had already existed before that thesis, yeah. but it doesn't matter. He told it better. That's mm-hmm. the par- People forget that's the part about fiction and literature, is that it's all in the telling of the story because all stories are basically already mm-hmm. told. It's just how do you tell them?
0: Yeah, so. that's true. That's good. It's a it's a good lesson to learn for sure. Um, what do you think about the fact of him leaving every chapter on a cliffhanger?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know that's classic. They, that's the thing. So if you he went, didn't make like,
0: that up, right? You're right.
1: No, like um. So if you think about it, like. I just I've been rereading, or not rereading, reading all those books that you probably should read if you like, you know, if you're if you're calling yourself a big reader. So I've been reading like um, I read Alexander Dumas' um, The Three Musketeers, mm-hmm. and then I forget there were a couple of other books like of that, you know, like all. All those bestsellers back then, they were they were published in, like, a serial form, like in magazines, so you had to buy them the next week. That's why they were created that way. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I just think it's just true to what fiction was, and now all of these books that were just kind of created for a magazine, to sell a magazine there's like these chapters are put together in a book and they're called literature so Hmm. i don't know that i would go so far as to call dan brown literature but um you know
0: (laughs) you can't be on the back of the book yet by the way (laughs) you're not allowed to be one of the blurbed authors no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I but, guess you could call this literature. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I think that, you know, fiction and literature are very, That's, okay, very different. Okay, fair enough. I get it. very different. Yeah, okay. I, got, I understand right. that. Uh, but people always poo-poo Dan Brown. Sure. Okay. A lot of my friends that are really intellectual just won't read him or even consider him. And mm. I'm like, well, I don't really know what the problem is. Like, I... I saw the book and I was never interested because mm. it was a New York Times bestseller. And then it went into pu- paperback form. And then they went they, they republished it in hardback form, but with all of these images of artwork and the places that he wrote about. So I thought, what is this? Why are they reissuing it? And so then I finally picked it up and read the description. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Mm. And then, you know, it was very interesting. So he also picks places that, some, if any generic tourist has been to Europe, he writes about places that you've likely been. So you're like, I know that place. You know.
0: <laughs> Just fe- feeling of familiarity.
1: <laughs> yeah, he knows how to play the reader, which I think is really important.
0: Uh, sure. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow.
1: So sorry, I took you on a random Dan Brown
0: that's not what I expected to talk about when I called you, by the way.
1: <laughs> well, we can talk about, you know.
0: <laughs> Here I was expecting to hear about, you know, high art and, like, you know. <laughs> I was expecting to be educated. Now I'm hearing a sermon for Dan Brownells. <laughs>
1: Dan Brown is great. Okay, fair <laughs> enough.
0: I I, I, I I buy your argument and I will uh, revisit him with a fresh eye. I won't I won't prejudge as I have in the past. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I really like Anne Rice.
0: Okay. So okay, what do you think of the fact that she went into a fundamentalist Christian vein and then she came back out of it because she thought saw the Twilight money being made?
1: Oh, I don't know about that.
0: Well, I think she stopped writing her uh, vampire series because yeah. she had a religious conversion, I believe.
1: Um, I don't know. So... So I kind of know a lot about her. All right. <laughs> so she, um, just because I'm obsessive and mm-hmm. also, you know, I've been goth for quite a while, so I've been reading her for a long time. So she was always Catholic and she was super Catholic, but not super Catholic as in anti-gays or anything like that. She's believes in marriage equality, but she grew up, she, like, went to Catholic church all the time when Mm -hmm. she was little, and then, um, and then her daughter died at five years old Mm -hmm. of leukemia, and then that's when she wrote Interview with the Vampire and created the five-year-old vampire, Mm -hmm. and then years later, um, she had, well, then she had another son who's actually gay, and then she has, um... She had a husband who recently died, and when her husband died, that's when she, like, kind of got a little bit weird, and she wrote that Catholic book, mm-hmm. the book about her Catholic religion. I don't know. And then I haven't read that, but I will eventually read it just because I, I really like her and mm-hmm. I'm interested. And then, um, then she went back, and I think, I don't know, it's weird because I think sometimes authors – are tired of the characters and that they're just tired of everyone wanting the same thing, but then they go away for a while, and they're like, well, actually, I do kind of miss these characters, mm-hmm. and so she did these. this wolf trip. She started this wolf series, which is pretty good. So, but she wrote some other books that weren't so good. Like, she wrote two books about Christ. I guess one of them is made into a movie, but I don't think
2: I'll see that.
0: Mm. Um, I mean, I'm reading here that she uh, wanted to distance herself from Christianity in general, and she wanted to say that she was still devoted to Christ, but not Christianity as a religion, basically.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: So... You know, whatever that means. But, I mean, she apparently... I've not read any, really, Anne Rice, but I've seen Interview with a Vampire. Um, yeah. And it was a very homoerotic movie, as I remember. Yeah. Um,
1: She said that she is, what did she say? She's a gay man trapped (laughs) in a woman's body.
0: (laughs) Suddenly it all makes sense. Yeah.
1: I was like, oh. And and that was like, I read her books when I was 12 years old. And Uh I was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) I was learning all sorts of stuff. I'm like, queer people exist? What is this? I didn't know that was possible.
0: That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cuz
1: you know, yeah, people used to keep a lot of things quiet and hidden for so long.
0: So. Sure. And especially but with Catholicism, I mean, if we're talking about that. Um Yeah. For sure. But um okay, well that's interesting about her. I didn't I didn't realize that she's had such a complicated uh, relationship uh with that mm-hmm.
1: um Yeah. But I mean, I guess, you know, that always kind of, it's interesting when you find that out, because Salman Rushdie also has mm. had that too, where he was, imbo- he was born Muslim, but then sure. he decided that he was, but his family was non-practicing, you know, I think, I'm not quite sure how, the, I think it was just like, kind of, you know, like how families inherit a religion, like sure. I inherit Catholicism from my family. Mm-hmm. So he and kind of you know, that's what he was and then
0: he Yeah walked
1: away from it.
0: Yeah, I, I always get weirded out when people don't see that how much um, you know where you're born and who you're born to um, influences that part of you. It's like, yeah, you are this, but you know what choice did you have? What what other options were you given? Where you were and who are you, who were your parents and you know who were the people around them? So yeah for sure. Um, now what did you think about the, uh, the fatwa and, and as far as like his, you know, his safety, he's had several translators killed. Um, you know, so he's been in real danger, uh, for the things he's written in and really the only thing, uh, that makes him a target is the fact that he was brought up in the faith and then he left it. Um, it wasn't, it was, that was the thing that made him a target is that, you know, he, he was in this thing and then he left it, you know.
1: Well, and also, you know, they were pretty pretty upset by his language, by his story, too. Hmm. By the satanic verses, they were...
0: But what, what specifically about the story for, for people that don't know the story? Like, what was it specifically so, that set them off?
1: So there's these verses that supposedly used to be um, included in the Quran, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then they were... They were since removed. Later on, saying, "Oh, those those didn't exist." But then, um, basically, I think in a nutshell, Rushdie is saying everyone's saying that the Quran is directly, you know, from the word is directly the word of God. What if, or Muhammad? What if it's not? What if someone else can sneak something in there? You know, maybe it's not exactly the word, the exact precise word, because I thought that when I was younger, because I went to a fundamentalist Christian school, and, you know, we're reading the Bible, and supposedly this is directly the word of God, and then um, and then later on I find out, oh, because you're really young, I mean, I went to this fundamentalist school when I was in the second grade, so you don't quite understand different languages and different cultures, different countries so well. So, to me, this was directly the Word of God. And then they're like, well, actually, it's translated. Well, I didn't understand what translation was, that words can change, that they're not precise. So, then you get older, and you're like, well, then a few years later, you're like, well, how do I know that this is exactly directly the Word? How do I know this? So, mm-hmm. um, So, I think that's basically, you know, that's just like it in a nutshell that he said that. But, yeah, he's He's um, had a lot of people associated with the book be killed or, you know, really harassed um, and injured. And people have definitely died in relation to the selling and publishing of the book. Mm -hmm. And they really, like, did not want the book to go into paperback form because, you know, the life of a book is hardback and then paperback, and then if it's in paperback, then it can really be taught in schools and, you know, bought more easily and more readily. So they were really fighting that paperback, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that's kind of when some people, one of the, I think, publishers was killed. So. Mm -hmm. But he says that he's he says he's safe now. He doesn't go anywhere with any guards or mm-hmm. anything like that. But he still gets um, something sent to him every February fourteenth mm-hmm. to remind him. And right. technically, the um, the sentence on him is still out
2: there.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote a column about uh, this year, February fourteenth. I wrote a column about it because the. Uh, Bounty had actually increased, um, again, and it was near 4 million, um, but it was like a conglomerated, like they were putting their monies together in a pool, um, for it. So it's still happening, you know, it's still out there. He may not travel with a, with a, you know, entourage or whatever. Um, But it's still still out there, and um, yeah. you know, I just think as someone who, I- anyone who respects free speech and free expression, has to support him, you know, in any way, um, just yeah. for the simple fact that you know, if that's the basic thing, you know, if if we don't respect that, then nothing else can happen. You know, we just have to be able to say things, you know. Um, Um, so I just, I feel very strongly about, he, he is just one of, uh, one of my heroes for that, you know, just for the fact that he puts his life on the line. He doesn't, he's never backed down from it, you know? No. Um, and, and that's, that's something to be admired as well, because if you back down from it, it's, you know, it's not just you that's going to suffer. It's, it's everyone, you know, because then that opens the door for everyone else to be like, well, I don't like this either, you know? so let's intimidate this person, you know? So he's, holding fast for a lot of other people that don't have to. So, I appreciate that about him. But
1: especially he's just a writer. It's not like
0: <laughs> He didn't ask for no, this. He, he just out. wrote a book. All he did was write a book. Yeah. You know? So.
1: So yeah, definite strength in a writer.
0: For sure yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's gotta it's gotta feel uh you know I can't imagine how it must feel to be under that kind of scrutiny all the time um but um Anyway, uh, everyone should read Salman Rushdie. That's my. That's yeah, they
1: should. He's a great book. He's a great writer. And yeah, for sure. the books, and he's also really, really funny.
0: Uh huh. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think people don't realize that they think Salman Rushdie. He must be totally serious and boring, mm-hmm. but he's so funny, and his stories are so interesting, and it's, there's this magical realism also that I think...
0: Yeah, we didn't even get to that yet. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I, the, the first time I started reading him, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. There were just so many things, that I didn't finish it the first time, and then I read it again when I was in grad school because I was just so confused. I was like, but but how is this happening? Wait, I don't understand because it's magical realism and I'd never encountered anything like that before so yeah I just think that everyone should read him and be aware that weird things happen but he's also super 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 funny like you laugh out loud
0: Mm -hmm. in his books so well uh, cool well is there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to
1: um I don't know I can't really think of anything just yeah, I guess those are all the main writers. Oh, Irvin Welsh is really good too.
0: Ooh, yeah, for sure. Um, I love Train Spotting. I don't know much beyond that, but um...
1: yeah, his books are so funny, and it, he also has that lyrical cadence to his writing as mm, well. Cool. Because he writes in that brogue.
2: Yeah. So. Right. It's
1: almost like reading another language. <laughs> But I've read him so much that I can read it now easily, and it all makes sense. But if I try to read it out loud, <laughs> I kind of stumble over words because it's like... it mm-hmm. be like, you yeah, can, and it's like, that's where you know. But it's K-E-N. So, yeah. But then sometimes if I read him too much, because I love him so much, and I kind of want to emulate his language, mm. so then I try to use some of his slang, but then I just again, just sound like pretentious or stupid (laughs) (laughs) using slang that's from another country. Uh, People can gather what I'm trying to say. Sure, exactly.
0: Um, It's like Anthony Burgess, for example.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like, well, I've only read Sure. uh,
0: Clockwork Clockwork Orange. Orange, Right, me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that was really good. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't expecting to like it so much
0: yeah for sure but so it's like but it was, it's the same thing it's like you get into the groove of the cadence you know
1: yeah and it's just amazing mm-hmm. and yeah I don't know I really love when authors do that it's not I don't think there's too many because it's so hard it's such a gift
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you really have to be committed to it too. It's not something you can pick up and put down. You have to be kind of like into the, you know, head nod part of it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Well, cool. Um, thank you for talking to me. It's been fun. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, thanks for talking to me too. It was really fun for me.
0: Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to promote before we, before we go?
1: Um, well, I do have a blog about books and book nerddom um, called So I Follow Julian, um, and I took the title from a book by Brett Easton Ellis called Less Than Zero. Oh, well, have let's just, hold
0: on, let's, 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 we don't have to end yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rules of Attraction just happens to be one of my favorite books. Oh, um, Really? Oh, yeah. Um, American Psycho is amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. Glamorama is really good. Um, Yeah. uh, uh, Rules of Attraction is one of my favorite movies. Um, American Psycho is one of my favorite movies. Um, I've seen Less than Zero.
1: Yeah, that's all you can say about it.
0: I've checked it off. The but The box has been filled. You know what I mean? So,
1: yeah. But the um, book is really good. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you want to see about uh, Brody Ellis? I mean, just amazing author, right?
1: Yeah, just... Um, one of my friends really liked him a lot, so that's the only reason why I read him. And I really loved him, and I... <laughs> His sense of humor and his style, like I like that. It's so clean and precise. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's very American. And, you know, it's, and then of course I thought this, but then I realized that I was not the first, obviously. Wow, this really reminds me of the great Gatsby, you know? <laughs> yeah. That exactly. whole
2: era. Sure.
1: So it was really fun to realize that. It, you know that I was just a part of this group mm-hmm. that obviously all you know. It's like interesting when you're like, yes, yeah. I'm not alone in this theory. Everyone else sees it too.
0: Yeah. So that's um, the biggest feeling I get from him as well. Um, there's one scene in uh, Rules of Attraction that I go back and read, and just it makes me smile every time. It's just they're at the REM concert at the end of the book, and uh, you know the, uh, Sean Bateman is sitting on the speaker, and he's looking out at these people that are like these preppy people and they're having these problems and he's like, the real tragedy is they think that their problems are real and they have no problems. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was just, it oh, was such, it's that such that. a good scene. Oh, oh, there's so many little tiny scenes in that book I love. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just like these people that really have no problems because they're super rich and, and every carnal need is met. It's just that they, they, they have it all and they're still miserable. You know what I mean. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. that's the biggest tragedy is that yeah, they have everything that people say you should want, and you still feel empty. You know what I mean? I think that's 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 such a, a feeling that people can be like, yeah. You know, that's that's what I felt when I read, you know, Bradley Snell's work. You know,
1: it's weird because books feel so empty. Yeah, exactly. But not. I don't, I don't know. It's weird, because whenever I read his books, they just make me sad, but they're just so beautiful, mm-hmm. and I like the stories that he tells, but it's just all the language. It's just yeah, so precise, and there's all those lines, like you just said, mm-hmm.
0: you know? And, yeah, for sure, um, but I think in a lot of ways, he's a very disappointed idealist, and he wants pe- things to be a very, like, certain way, and he's very disappointed in the world that It's not that way, you know, and he he wants to communicate his his disappointment through that. Um, At least that's that's the way I perceive it.
1: I would agree with you. Mm. I don't think that he, I don't think he enjoys that this is how he perceives the world.
0: No, I don't think he's having fun talking about it that way at all. I (laughs) I think,
1: well, because I know that there was a lot of backlash over American Psycho, and I was like, but, but... I don't understand. Like this this isn't glorifying it. Like I haven't seen the movie but you know you the haven't book.
0: seen the movie of American Psycho?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Oh okay, I, I don't mean to be that person but um but please see the movie American Psycho. Um, yeah. Uh, I wanna hear what you have to say after you see it because um it's it's very different than the book. Um but it's it's also good in its own way. I, I really yeah. like it a lot.
1: Yeah, I I definitely want to watch it, but there's certain movies where I'm like, okay, it's one thing to read about rape, it's another thing to watch it, you know, because you're like, okay, when you're reading something violent, it goes with the story and it doesn't feel voyeuristic, but then when you're watching it, it somehow seems like it's sensationalizing it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Not that they're
1: doing that because the, that that violence happened in the books. Well, it's, it's a
0: just, visual medium; it's telling you what it looked like, whether, rather than you being able to create it. Yeah. You know. Exactly.
1: So, but you know, everyone was so not everyone, but people complained about all well, those scenes, and I thought, well, I don't. He he doesn't seem at any point to be sensationalizing it mm-hmm. in my mind, because I think. If I would have read it when I was younger, I don't know that I could distinguish that, but, you know, the more you read, the more you mature as a reader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can see when you can catch those little author nuances where they're putting in the authorial voice, and it wasn't ever like he was like, (laughs) this is this is what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. It just seemed like he was condemning him the entire time. I didn't Mm -hmm. think that he was happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, I haven't, yeah, I don't remember um, the rules of attraction so much. I remember really liking it, but Less Than Zero was Mm. the first book that I read that I got really attached to. And then I also read, um, what was the horror one? That one scared me.
0: Uh, Was it a more recent book?
1: No, it was like something about like some Creepy animal toy thing.
0: Hmm. I don't know that one. Um, I know the one that he wrote... Lunar
1: um, Eclipse, maybe?
0: Oh, uh, Lunar Eclipse?
1: Park? Lunar Park, yeah. Uh,
0: that one. Yeah. Well, but what, wasn't that where he met characters from his previous books? Yes. In, like, a semi-dream like dream sequence or something? I don't know. I think so. I have not That's read it yet. really scared me. Oh. Like,
1: I actually was gonna go to I was gonna go to cat club which is where
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, Sean used to bartend and mm-hmm. our other friends and I actually had to have someone meet me at the apartment to walk me the two blocks. Mm mm-hmm. Because I was reading that book and it scared me,
2: like,
1: <laughs> I realized that this little creature could not possibly exist, but it had me so fidgety and jumpy, and I was like, well, this is kind of cool that a book has scared me that mm-hmm. much, like, you know, to childhood status where you're scared. Mm-hmm. And it was Brett Easton Ellis, and I never would have right. expected that from him. Because mm-hmm. it was, you know, some fictitious, like, monster that he had created. Mm. So.
0: Have you read Imperial Bedrooms? Yes. Is it, is it any good?
1: Uh, yeah, I really, I liked that one too, but mm. um, I think, yeah, it wasn't, I didn't like it nearly as much as Less Than Zero. Uh, but well, I did yeah. like it, you know, because he definitely played a lot around mm-hmm. with, um, like, himself, and I think he's in it, and, you know, he's talking about, like, it's like, Brad Easton Ellis, the character. Brad mm. Easton Ellis, the author. Mm-hmm. So I do like when authors get meta.
0: So. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, where else is there to go, you know, unless you're going to rehash the same story over and over again? Um, you know, because I think there is a certain thing about you have your whole life to think about your first thing and then you have like a, from the time your first thing is released until the second thing is released to think about your second thing um yeah so i think lesson 0 is definitely that first thing like he wrote that in college right I think, I don't know. He was was very young, right?
1: Yeah, definitely really young.
0: Yeah, so, but but that was, like, his first, like, you know, and I think anyone's first thing is very, like, you know, they've been, you know, this is is their statement, you know, they may not get a second chance, you know? Um, Yeah. So I feel like that is always, they pack a little more into that, and then, you know, your second thing, maybe you were thinking about it before, but... There's such a thing as a sophomore slump for a reason. But I, you know, Rules of Attraction. Did you see the movie at all?
1: Mm, no, I didn't. Was that the one that came out a few years ago?
0: Oh, it it came out several years ago. Oh. Uh, it defined my college. <laughs> but Okay. Um, <laughs> it was a uh, 2003, I think, is uh, when the movie came out. Uh James Vanderbeek was in it. <laughs> Are
2: you serious?
0: It's great. It's uh, Fred Savage is in it. Um, no. Yes. Really? I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. Um, no.
1: Oh, I'm going to have to go watch it for sure. Because... Yeah,
0: see, it, it, I'm going to build it up now and you're going to hate it because um, I, I saw the movie first and then I read the book. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, James Van Der Beek. And the And here's the thing. If you ever saw Dawson's Creek, and I don't know if you did, but apparently um. this was the movie that was supposed to break him out of the teeny bopper role. Okay. So he was being the bad boy in this movie 2002 by the way uh, was the movie Um, he was trying to break out of the creek he was drowning in the creek in Dawson's Creek is the creek I'm talking about (laughs) 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 but he was drowning in the creek and he wanted to crawl out of the creek because those WB contracts are awful you know, binding Um, so he wanted to break out of that and he was going to be Patrick Bateman not Patrick Bateman. Sean Bateman. Ah. Brother of, of, of Patrick Bateman. Uh, and in a deleted scene, Casper Van Deen shows up and is Patrick Bateman, BTW. Um, oh. Yes. <laughs> Uh, James Shan-
1: Vanderbink, Fred Savage, what more do I want?
0: I just—I don't even know what else I have to say to like entice you to see this
2: movie. <laughs> Nothing.
0: <laughs> You're already there. You
2: had me at James Vanderbink. Fred <laughs> Savage.
0: Good. I could have stopped talking there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh but yeah you should definitely see it. Um I think it's it's a great movie. I mean I'm I'm really biased cuz you know I I saw it at that very special time in my life aka when I was 19. Um yeah. so you know anything you see during the fertile time in your life you're going to think is better but uh, I really do think you should see the Rules of Attraction movie, because uh, you will like it. It's got some really innovative, uh, you know, techniques of filmmaking, a lot of backward shots. Uh, Roger Avery directed it, uh, who also co-wrote Pulp Fiction. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's one of those. Like I said, I can't be imp- I can't be impartial on it. I'm I'm totally um, <laughs> speaking from from a, a skewed point of view. But uh, it's great, and really cemented my love for Brad Easton Ellis because then I, that allowed me to uh, portal back to Less Than Zero and all those other things. So um, I don't know how many people that happened for in the Less Than Zero movie though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that was a whole different thing. <laughs> that's a great book. It's it's a not great
1: movie. <laughs> I know. It's it's really sad. It?
0: Robert Downey Jr. is in it though, so
1: yeah, he's no Fred Savage.
0: No, he's no Fred Savage. Boy does not meet world. Um, no, wait, that was his brother. Sorry. <laughs>
1: oh, that's right.
0: <laughs> that was uh. Who was it? The other Savage.
1: Who? Ben?
0: Ben thank you. Yeah, Ben Savage. Ben
1: Savage. <laughs> ben Savage. And now there's Girl Meets World.
0: You know you know what's really, really, really sad is the um <clears throat> there's a there's a character. Okay, so you know the story of Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World. Yeah. <sighs> My son is named Harper Burgess. Wait. Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I don't. Okay. There's a character on Girl Meets World called Harper (laughs) Burges. Really? And I had no idea of that before we named our son Harper (laughs) Burges. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It's a very unfortunate coincidence. (laughs)
1: That's kind of really awesome.
0: (laughs) I hope it is (laughs) because that's his name.
1: (laughs) That's so awesome. Good name. Yeah. Good reference, you know, like after, you know, Girl Meets World is a (laughs) lovely show. You should be
0: proud. I can hold my head up high.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You should should decorate his room like the girl has it on the show. Stop. You're killing (laughs) me. Talk about creepy. You're you're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) If he has a sibling, you could call, call her Topanga.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit this out before my wife hears this. <laughs> it's Why? Because
1: stu- she'll think it's a great idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to give her any Topanga ideas. a great
1: name. Topanga is a strong female character. You should be lucky to have a daughter. <laughs>
0: Oh wow! If I th- if my, uh, if my I could go back in time and tell my twelve uh, year old myself that we'd still be talking about Topanga as a possible child's name, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're like, no, no one would ever want to.
0: Do that. <laughs> why? Why would you do this? <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. We could keep it thematic for sure. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't be weird at all. No, no. no, exactly. And everyone who gets it would have, like, a shortness of breath for, like, five seconds. They'd be like, oh, God, how do I
2: react?
1: You'd be just so excited. <laughs> exactly. You'd be invited to all the dinner parties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> see Rules of Attraction report back to us please I Um, will for sure thank you for uh, being a guest on the Rob Burgess show this is this is great
1: well thanks for having me this is really fun
0: yeah for sure Um, great
1: talking books yeah learning about movies I should
0: (laughs) (laughs) is there any final words you want to leave uh, the people with
1: um no I guess not just read more okay
0: Anymore. I can't, yeah. I, I co-sign that. Uh, um, talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Right. Bye. Good night. Bye.